year, we've released nearly 50 episodes of The Spillover, and we have covered traumatic stories, taboo topics, and we've definitely had some controversial episodes, but nothing has quite pushed the envelope to the point where we've had to weigh the risk of being banned. This episode is our riskiest yet. And if anything was going to get banned, it would be this. And I'm actually fully expecting YouTube to throw a fit and take this conversation down. But here we are because today's story needs to be heard. And because of the subject matter of this episode and the likelihood that it will be too spicy for YouTube, we are announcing today the launch of our Rumble channel. So if you're a Rumble servative watching this, hello, welcome. You can subscribe to The Spillover on Rumble so you never have to worry about us being censored in an episode again. My guest was raised in the Oscar Myers family, attended top schools in the country, and had a stellar career throughout her 20s that led her to working at Apple. Then, one day, her entire life changed forever when she decided to travel outside of the country, which, even pre-COVID, required specific vaccinations. What was meant to be a vacation turned into a health nightmare as she began to suffer a vaccine injury, giving her terrifying brain damage. Since then, her career has transformed. She's the author of hundreds of articles. She's appeared on TV, given presentations at Stanford Medical School, School and has served as director at the California Chapter of Children's Health Defense since 2018. Led by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the organization fights for medical freedom, which is a fight that ramped up two years ago, as we all know. Here to talk all things big pharma, medical mandates, and the censored truth about vaccines and vaccine injuries is Alex Meyer on The Spillover. Listen and share while you still can. Alex, the first thing that I want to say, I'm very jealous of you because your name is spelled way cooler than mine. It's A-L-I-X. Way cooler. You are so cute. Yeah, my parents named me after the slain Russian Tsarina, Princess Alex in Russia, who died in the Bolshevik Revolution, because my mom was reading the book Nicholas and Alexandra when I was uh, when she was pregnant with me. Oh, my gosh. So are you Alexandra A-L-I-X-A-N-D-R-A? Um, the full version is spelled normally A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A, but the short version is A-L-I-X. So it causes a lot of confusion with my email address and things like that. So, well, so much cooler than me. If my mom is listening, you should have done what her parents did. Anyway, no, um, <laughs> I'm I'm excited to have you on because uh, this is a subject that, number one, you know, maybe the, maybe the subject that gets us kicked off everything on the spillover, but also one that has been highly requested from cute conservatives. And we're going to talk about a myriad of different things that you're an expert in, which is, um, you know, vaccines, uh, vaccine injuries, also the uh, big pharma opioid epidemic, all of that. So we're going to touch on everything. But first, I kind of gave a little bit of a spiel on you, but I want to I want them to hear it from you yourself. Could you explain what the Children's Health Defense is and then what happened that landed you there? Of course. Sure. So what you didn't say in the intro is that Children's Health Defense is here to defend everyone's right to medical freedom. It's always our choice what medical treatment goes into our bodies, and we need to be fully informed before we make that decision. So instead of saying informed consent, we like to say informed choice because it should always be your choice. And so there's a misconception about Children's Health Defense that it's an anti-vaccine organization, and that cannot be further from the truth. It's actually an organization defending your right to choose what goes into your body no matter what is going on in the political or um, scientific climate. And right now with COVID, we know that it's pretty much lawless and without any science whatsoever. So the way I found myself 
um, at Children's Health Defense on the national board is that I was vaccine injured back in the 1990s. At that time, I was in my late 20s. I was running a worldwide group for Apple Computer and I went on a vacation with my family. But before I went on that vacation, I thought I needed to go to travel medicine. And at travel medicine, they said I needed six vaccines. And so I rolled up my sleeve and I said, yeah, give me all those. I want those. I don't want to get sick on my trip. And it was the worst decision of my life. A couple of weeks later, I was on that trip with my family in Bali and I collapsed. My legs turned into noodles. I started to get a headache that lasted decades and I still have a headache today. But um, I actually became completely physically disabled. I kept going to my job at Apple. I come from a German family, the Meyer family. We make the family made hot dogs, bologna and bacon, Oscar Meyer. Some of you might be familiar with it. Um, and in German families, you need to keep going to work because otherwise you might get labeled a useless eater. Um, and that wasn't really on my mind, though. I, I really, really loved my job at Apple. I loved the people I worked with. I loved everything we did. And I loved the content of my job, which involved um, fielding studies and interpreting them and presenting them to management. So I absolutely loved it. But I kept going in. And month after month, I got worse and worse. I started sleeping 16 hours a day. Oh my and then at about month six or seven, I became brain damaged. I literally couldn't read anything anymore. I could read very simple things, but I was reading the Wall Street Journal and I read three articles in a row and I thought, oh, wow, there are three really bad writers in the Wall Street Journal today. And then I paused and I thought, well, that's actually not possible. It has to be me. And with all these other problems I've been going through, I can't read anymore. And I never put the label brain damage on it until later, but I was very brain damaged at that point. I couldn't remember the beginning of a sentence by the time I got to the end of a sentence. If you read a phone number into my voicemail, I couldn't remember it long enough to call you back. It was absolutely awful. And then I spent the first three years in my thirties housebound, 80% housebound. And it was just, it was a really awful way to go. I didn't have a diagnosis for the longest time. And it took me 13 years actually for doctors to put together all the puzzle pieces and figure out that I had been catastrophically vac vaccine injured. What were the vaccines that you had taken? I took hepatitis B, hepatitis A, diphtheria, tetanus, polio, and oral typhoid all at the same time. And so are, is that something that they still recommend for people that are leaving the United States to travels to get all of those? They can. Yeah. It depends on what country you're going to. If they're worried about foodborne illness, they'll say you need hepatitis A and diphtheria tetanus vaccine. Um, if they think you might trip and fall, then they'll say, oh, you haven't had your tetanus recently. You should get that. Um, and so a lot of them are very typical, unfortunately. And a lot of people get sick when they travel and they come back. Alex, this is really interesting. A lot of people think that they catch some sort of parasite when they're traveling to a foreign country and they come back and they never look at the vaccines they took before that trip. Wow, and yeah. I coached so many people on that. I said, well, you think that you got a parasite that never went away. Why do people in that country not have lifelong parasites? Why are they so productive still? Did you get vaccines before your trip? And a lot of them say, yes, I got vaccines before that trip. And then like the light bulb goes on in their head. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm actually vaccine injured. I said, yeah, you are. Now you have a path to get better. So what was your process to get better? How in the world do you go from brain damaged, I can't even read, I'm forgetting things, having this chronic headache and things like that to now, obviously, you're, you're talking, you're reading, you're working? Right. Um, it was a very, very long road to recovery. I always say that it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
But for the first three years, I really had no hope. Nothing worked. Nothing helped me at all. I was still doing some traditional medical things. They put me on Plaquenil, which is hydroxychloroquine, which has kind of been made famous lately by the COVID pandemic. That, but yeah, of, yeah. <laughs> but none of that worked. It didn't do anything to help me at all. And finally, I discovered the gluten-free diet kind of by accident. And then half my symptoms went away and I was able to go back to work part-time consulting in high tech to all the dot-coms in San Francisco that then became the dot-bombs later. Um, I don't know if you remember those times, but it was, it was a boom and then a bust. And um, so I got to go back to work part-time, but that wasn't the end of my recovery. There were so many other things I needed to do to crawl out of that hole I was in health-wise. And it involved a lot of um, IV treatments, um, a lot of oxygen healing therapies, a lot of herbs. And then in the end, I did a lot of frequency medicine. And that's finally what pushed me over the edge to health. One thing that is very uh, fascinating to me is the fact that you're now working for Children's Health Defense, but also you spent years working for Apple. And so I wanted to ask you, Alex, when the lockdowns began a couple years ago, you know, obviously it really became apparent then with the censorship that we were experiencing online, uh, you know, pushing these vaccines that we were seeing on social media. It was like Big Pharma was really in bed with big tech. It never became more obvious to so many Americans. And so being someone who once worked worked inside of big tech, did you ever imagine a world where they would be censoring information on things like vaccines and disease? Alex, that's a fantastic question. I never imagined a world where big tech would start censoring things. I really held Apple in the highest esteem. I had so much respect for my colleagues. Uh, Steve Jobs had a reputation of being kind of a jerk, but you know, we all had respect for him and his business acumen. And really, while Steve Jobs was still at the helm, there's no way Apple would have been involved in the censorship. I think it began when Tim Cook came in because I think he played into the narrative way more than Steve Jobs ever would have. And I was really surprised. Um, I used to listen to NPR. I don't anymore. But in 2015, when I was still listening to NPR, I remember it was spring of 2015. And one of the stories was about Google and it was going to start censoring inappropriate content when it came to health and medical information. And at that point, I had some blogs. I'd written almost 900 articles they were published online. I thought, oh no, I'm going to be demoted and my, my articles aren't going to go to the top of the search anymore. And sure enough, um, slowly but surely it happened. And Google's, Google and every other search engine out there and every social media company started censoring health and medical content. And now it's just become completely extreme to the point where you can't even go find the truth about anything. The only way to find the truth about vaccines, or one of the only ways, is to go to the publication called The Defender at childrenshealthdefense.org. If you go to the defender, then you can do your search for the truth about vaccines. And those articles published there are fact-checked by a team of scientists, doctors, and lawyers. And go through, every article probably goes through five to 10 different iterations before it's published. So you can feel really confident that those articles are truthful and referenced to official sources. Well, I think what really gives people anxiety is is what doctors and what lawyers and what scientists are we supposed to trust? It seems like any political party can just buy their own scientists or buy their own doctors to say what they want. And so I think it, for me, it has just totally broken my trust in the medical industry. I have no idea what vaccines I should get or shouldn't get because I don't know who is, you know, who really has a political agenda behind what they're telling me to do. Exactly. And 
again, if you go to Children's Health Defense to the Defender, it is a more balanced publication than anybody would ever believe. And it, it does talk about the risks and the benefits of vaccines. So it's, it's a really good place to go when you have questions about vaccines, because the only side you're going to get if you Google information is the official narrative from Big Pharma. And that is so compromised, as you and I both know. What has it been like living with a vaccine injury and seeing fellow Americans, maybe politicians, people you respect, people you know personally, champion Big Pharma, who essentially is who I would call your abuser? That's a really good question, too, Alex. What it's been like watching people get COVID shots and get vaccine injured when I've been doing this work for more than a decade to let people know that vaccines are not all roses. They're not all benefit and no risk. In fact, there's a lot of risks to vaccines and especially for the COVID shots, they're very, very risky. There've been in excess of a million reports of adverse events to our adverse events reporting system called VAERS. There've been more than 25,000 deaths reported after COVID shots when in the average year before COVID shots, there were only 200 to 300 deaths reported after all other shots before COVID. So these shots are not benign. And it's very hard to be sitting here as a vaccine injured person, letting people know that you need to look at the risks before you take this COVID shot. And this is what happened to me. And here's the data on these new COVID shots. And you really need to look into it. And people just blow you off and they go get it because they want to travel or they don't want to lose their job. And unfortunately, I see so many people getting injured. I had a friend who um, just had to have surgery to have tumors removed from her uterus, which began right after her two COVID shots. Mm. I've had so many people go down. I've had other people I know who've died. I've had people who now have permanent joint pain, uh, people with neurological issues. It's awful. In the early days when the vaccine came out, I know Pfizer, Pfizer and Moderna, they said, you know, if you have vaccine side effects, you cannot, um, we're not responsible for financial compensation. You can't sue us. What are your thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts about these shots still being under emergency use authorization. The reason we can't sue the vaccine manufacturer, you can't sue the institution who gave it to you, you can't sue the person who gave it to you, and you can't actually sue our government, is that all of the COVID shots are still under emergency use authorization, which means these things are investigational, which is a synonym for experimental. And that ties it into the Nuremberg Code. And you cannot mandate an emergency use authorization shot. These shots are all under EUA, and so it's illegal to mandate them, and they have liability protection. So if you're hurt or your loved one dies, God forbid, from a COVID shot, you have no recourse. The only thing you can do is apply to the CICP, which stands for the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, and that is a program where you don't get a lawyer, you don't get to go to, get to, go to court, you have to fill out a form, and then an administrator decides if you should be compensated or not. And you're allowed to appeal with another form, but that's the entire process. They've only granted 3% of claims in the past at, in the CICP for COVID shots. For the whole COVID era, there have been no cases granted. Nobody has gotten any compensation for any COVID shots, remdesivir, for nothing. There's one case that's pending in the system right now, but nobody knows what it's for. It could be for remdesivir. It could be for a swab. We don't know. We don't know if it's for a COVID shot. We don't know what it is, but nothing's been compensated. I like that you said that Children's Health Defense is not 
anti-vax. You guys are anti-vaccine mandates. And I know that you might have mixed feelings on vaccines just because of what happened to you. But what do you think is the earliest age a child should get vaccinated? I know that a lot of children born get multiple shots, but should we be waiting a little bit longer, I guess, you know, for them to get them? What What do you think? Well, I and Children's Health Defense can't give advice on, you know, when to get shots or an alternative shot schedule, but we really encourage people to do their own research before they go get their children vaccinated. And that research should be done before the woman gets pregnant because there are shots that a woman can get while pregnant that can also affect the developing baby. So it's really important that people do their own research and figure out what schedule is going to work for them. Speaking of corruption in healthcare, are you tired of being called a bleeder or chest feeder? So disgusting. Periods in pregnancy are a girls' club. That's all there is to it. Garnu is a conservative and pro-life owned feminine product company that promises to never call you a birthing person or menstruator ever again. Did you know that most tampon brands fund Planned Parenthood or support abortion? Garnu is one of the only tampon brands that doesn't. Garnu offers 100% organic tampons that you can buy one time or via a subscription, which is what I recommend so that you get a new box just in time for your strawberry week, as Garnu calls it, every single month. They also have menstrual cups. And fun fact, Garnu, spelled G-A-R-N-U-U, means rescue in Nepali. Proceeds from each purchase go towards fighting human trafficking for girls in Nepal. Join the Girls Only Club by going to garnu.com slash Alex with code Alex to receive your first month free of organic tampons when you subscribe exclusively for cute conservatives. That's garnu.com slash Alex, G-A-R-N-U-U with code Alex when you do the subscription. Speaking of big pharma and just how they were so roped into, you know, all of the vaccine controversy we've been seeing the last few years, one thing that I am fascinated by is the role big pharma played in the opioid crisis. And I wanted you to talk about the work that Children's Health Defense does in regards to the opioid crisis in particular. Children's Health Defense, we publish a lot of articles about the opioid crisis, but we don't have any suits right now against any of the opioid makers. The Sackler family is the very famous case. They have, they own Purdue Pharma and they made about $30 billion off of OxyContin. They were the first company to actually get opioids approved as a class of drugs in the 1990s. And they profited handsomely. Now we know that those drugs have killed more than a half million people, unfortunately. And a lot of people are probably still addicted to opioids because of um, that family and their company. There was a settlement. These, this family is so wealthy and so powerful, they actually never had to go to court. And there was actually a settlement that protected the family from um, most of the fines and capped the fines at four and a half billion dollars. Three billion of that was going to go out to patients. But unfortunately, recently, a, uh, um, a judge just overturned that settlement. Actually, I don't know if that's so unfortunate because what was overturned is this protection on the Sackler family themselves. And so I believe that there's a chance now that this case is going to go to court and these people might be held personally liable as well. Do you feel like there are similarities in how Big Pharma handled, you know, the Purdue scandal, the opioid epidemic and how they've been handling and covering up things with the COVID vaccine? 
Absolutely, Alex. It's really interesting. They seem to play the same game over and over again. Internally, they do know about the harm and deaths that their drugs and vaccines will cause. And it becomes just a balance sheet item where they say, well, we know we're going to kill or injure this many people, but we're going to make so much more money continuing to sell the drug or vaccine that we're just going to keep doing it until we get caught. And that's what the Sackler family did. They, they knew what was going on. They knew exactly what was going on. And that's what Big Pharma is doing today. They know exactly what's going on. Those Pfizer documents that got released at the beginning of this year tell a very damning story because in the first two months that the Pfizer vaccine was on the market, they got reports of more than 1,200 deaths. I, that's not a benign vaccine. No. And usually vaccines are pulled when there's two deaths, three deaths, maybe 25 in the case of you know the H1N1 vaccine. But there have been more than 25 thousand deaths reported to our injury and death tracking system now. And that's only a fraction of what's really going on. That's probably only 1% of the deaths. When you guys are on the ground fighting for medical freedom, facing a giant like Big Pharma, does it feel impossible? Or do you think that there is a world where more and more companies like Purdue Pharma, for example, can be exposed and we do see a change? I think there's a lot of hope that we're going to see a change. The public confidence in our public health agencies is absolutely crumbling right now. People are starting not to trust pharma as so many people are injured and killed by the COVID shots. People are waking up to the fact that uh, our agencies are controlled. Our agent, like the FDA, for example, 45% of its budget is paid for by big pharma. So what do you think the FDA is going to do? They can't bite the, the hand that feeds them. So I do think that people are waking up to the fact that there is so much corruption in our public health agencies, and it is simply not good for the American population. I mean, if you look at just the injury reports in the VAR system, as I said, it's more than a million so far. And if the underreporting factor is 1%, sorry, it is, uh, <laughs> is 99%, you have to multiply that by 100 to get the true rate in the population of injuries. And if that's the case, there could be more than 100 million Americans injured, which is almost a third of our population who could have been injured by COVID shots. I mean, at that point, people are going to start to wake up. There's going to be a critical mass of people who know these things are too dangerous to keep giving to people. The costs are worse than the benefits by far. In your opinion, could America exist without Big Pharma or is Big Pharma a necessary evil? Could America exist without Big Pharma? I would say absolutely yes. I, I really think that I think a lot of people are waking up to natural medicine and everything that herbal medicine can do. And there's robust science behind a lot of treatments that, you know, just were considered witch doctor medicine even 50 years ago. So I, I personally don't consume pharma medicine, but I know a lot of people do and they rely on it. I, I think the I think the world could shift to a lot more natural medicine. You know what is really weird to me is that when you look back the last couple years um, during the pandemic, right before the pandemic, it was the very cool, uh, like celebrity, liberal, 
I don't know, hippie indie thing to kind of be, you know, questioning, be vaccine questioning, I should say. And then all of a sudden during the pandemic, it was you are a terrible person. Um, You know, you're dirty. Don't let people around you. Don't talk to these people. Cut them out of your life if they have questions about a vaccine that, you know, the government is pushing on you. I, I don't understand how we had that switch or why when the mainstream media and Hollywood was so into people who did question vaccine right before. Exactly. Yeah, I think there are two reasons for that pressure. One is just kind of the the social pressure. They couldn't mandate these things legally at first. And so there had to be the social pressure as a substitute for mandating these products. And so getting people to shame other people into getting the shots was the name of the game. Now, um, Now it's really interesting because they took this so far. And when the shots did hit the market, they needed people to really want a vaccine passport. And this whole idea of social pressure and shaming people into getting vaccines and telling them they couldn't go to a restaurant or they couldn't go to see their favorite band without a vaccine passport, that became the name of the game. And that vaccine passport is way more important than just a vaccine passport. What they wanna do with that is turn that into a digital ID. And I think you're probably aware of that. Could you talk about the digital ID that the vaccine passport would eventually turn into? Sure. So I remember in 2018, I was going to a concert with my friend and I turned to her and there had been a a new law that had been passed in California based on a bill called SB 276. And that established a vaccine database for children who did not have vaccines. And I turned to her and I said, hey, you know what I think is going to happen with that database? I bet they're going to add every childhood vaccine to that database after they pilot it with just the exceptions, they're gonna pilot it with the children who are not getting the vaccines right now. Then they're gonna add every child vaccine to this database. Then they're gonna put adults on it. And lo and behold, a few years later, COVID hits and all of a sudden we need a, a vaccine database for the adult population. And that database is interesting because there's a bill pending in the California legislature right now that would link our vaccination database with the real ID. And so it's becoming Basically, it's becoming not just a vaccine passport, but this whole idea of a digital ID. And a digital ID is a way to control the entire population. It's going to be linked to social credit scores. So, for example, if you don't get the sixth booster of your COVID shot, maybe you can't go to the grocery store. Or if you don't, you know, pay your mortgage on time, you know, your credit score is going to turn into actually a social credit score. And maybe they'll limit the distance you can drive your car. If you drive an electric car remotely, they can say like you can only go in a one mile radius from your house until your social credit score goes up. So this is a way to control the entire population. And the reason they've pitted everybody against each other for vaccine status is that they want everybody to want this vaccine passport, will event, which will eventually turn into the digital ID. That is something that is so scary to me. And when you try to explain that to somebody, it's hard because a lot of times people look at you like you're you're crazy and just a total conspiracy theorist. But it's like everything that we have been saying, we said all that kind of stuff at the very beginning of the pandemic. And it's 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 all coming true. All of this has come true. How do you deal with that when people say like you're you're like a loon? <laughs> well, um, you know, the the only difference between a conspiracy theory and conspiracy fact is a whistleblower who can testify in court. And I think that day is going to come very soon, Alex. I agree with you, Alex. OK, so 
What are some tips that you can equip people with um, that want to use for their own personal and professional lives so that they can have more medical freedom? That's a great question. So to get more medical freedom in your life, I would first of all, look into some alternative insurances. And and this is me speaking for me. I'm not speaking for children's health defense here. Um, I would look into insurance. Like there's one called new health, K N E W health. There's one called Liberty health share, and that can get you off of the big commercial insurance plans. If you feel like that's a good decision for your family, after you weigh the, um, the benefits against the risks of being insured in that way, that's a really good thing to do. Another one would be just to start looking at um, medicine as a last resort. Pharmaceutical medicine should always be a last resort. I would start seeing a naturopath, go to a chiropractor, go to an acupuncturist, start consuming the kind of medicine that actually gives health to you instead of the medicine that takes away your health. And those are the two things I would do. I think that would make a really big difference. I mean, schools treat these mandates like they're the law of the land. So when a school tells a parent or students that a student must be you know, vaccinated to attend because a mandate says so, is that illegal? That is 100% illegal right now. This is actually a subject matter expertise for me. What they've done with the COVID shots is they've created a category that doesn't exist. They've used emergency law and they've created something called a supra emergency. And that's, that's my term. It's a super emergency because what they've done is they've left the COVID shots on emergency use authorization status, which gives them liability protection, but they can't be mandated, as we talked about earlier. Then they gave these shots quasi approval with a biologic license approval document. But if you read that whole document and you get to one of the last few paragraphs, it actually says for Comirnaty and Spikevax, which are the brand name versions of um, the Pfizer and Moderna shots, it actually says this product is, quote, ready to be approved for individuals 16 and older. This is the approval document, and it very confusingly says this product is ready for approval. It's not approved. And in fact, if you look at the FDA site, it says that they aren't shipping these products yet. The products that are quasi-approved aren't even being shipped. You cannot find Comirnaty. You cannot find spike facts in the United States. They are holding back the supply of those things. They are approved for um, manufacturing and distribution, but not approved to be put in anybody's arm. And so what they've done is they've pulled in this three-part chimera to create this thing I call a super emergency. They leave the products on EUA status to maintain the liability protection. Then they have this quasi-approval with the biologic approval document, and then they keep them from being on the market. So the only products you can find are the original three vaccines from from Pfizer, BioNTech and from Moderna. And now probably not J&J. I think that's pretty much come off the market except for 18 and under. But you can't find these things. So that's the third piece of this thing. And so it just leaves the original shots on the market, which are still under EUA and they cannot be mandated. Every mandate of these shots is 100 percent illegal. It doesn't matter how many people are violating the law. Mass violation of the law doesn't make something legal. How long do you think this is going to go on? The um, now you need your eighth booster. Now you need your ninth booster. I mean, do you is this something that is just going to go on forever till we die, basically, for the current generation? Or will there ever be a stop to it? As far as we can tell, we're going to have variant after variant, which we call scariant after scariant. They have to. (laughs) 
come out. <laughs> they have to come out with these variants. And they always have to be scarier than the last one. Oh, this one's more infectious or this one's more deadly or this one causes X, Y, or Z. And there's a reason for that. Right now, since the products are still under EUA, as we just talked about, there are four standards that have to be met to keep EUA shots on the market. And it's like a four-legged stool. But if any one of those four legs is missing, every emergency use authorization product has to come off the market. And Alex, one of those four legs is that the secretary of HHS has to declare and maintain a state of emergency. Mm. So if there are no more variants and there's nothing to be worried about anymore, there's no more emergency, then all these products have to come off the market right now. And that includes all the COVID shots that are under EUA. That includes the testing and that actually includes the masks as well. And we finally saw the masks go away, thanks to Leslie Manukian from the Health Freedom Defense Fund. Her lawsuit won. Um, she was the one who won the public transportation mask mandate suit. And that she's the reason why we don't have to wear masks when we fly anymore. So thank you, Leslie Manukian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I want to I want to explore why this got to where it where it ended up getting to, like. When COVID first came out, did everyone genuinely think, okay, maybe this really is, um, you know, as scary as they're saying, and we do need to come up with some vaccines ASAP? And then once they did that, they just saw how people just were eating that up, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, and they were making so much money. They were like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, we can keep going with this. This is like going to be a you know, bajillion dollar uh, thing for us. We need to keep going. Or or what happened? Like, how did we get to this extreme where we have more and more vaccines every couple months? We have a new one we have to take. We have a new one. That's a really good question. I think, obviously, the vaccine manufacturers are making so much money. This is a gravy train that they just don't want to stop. And I actually think that the agenda was not really about the COVID vaccines the whole time. I mean, that's obviously a big part of it. And, you know, you always have to follow the money. But I think it's bigger than that. I think the end goal, as we talked about earlier, was to really get everybody on this digital ID with social credit scores. And the best way to do that was to make sure the whole world was forced to get these vaccines and then to put all the social pressure on those who didn't get them and then create the need for the vaccinated to know if they're surrounded by anybody who's unvaccinated. And I think that was the game the whole time to really scare people away from those without vaccines, even though there's nothing scary at all about people who don't get COVID shots. People can all get COVID, whether you're vaccinated or not. You have just as much viral load in your nose, whether or not you're vaccinated. The shots don't prevent transmission. They don't prevent cases. They don't prevent hospitalization. They don't prevent death. Yet they've somehow brainwashed this whole population into thinking if you're vaccinated, you can't be around an unvaccinated person. It's like all of a sudden, like your vaccine doesn't work for five minutes if there's an unvaccinated person near you. It's ludicrous. It's like if I were to go drive my car around the neighborhood and say, oh, my gosh, I hope nobody's riding a bicycle next to my car because then my bike, my car won't work. It's just bizarre. Um, so they've created this whole thing to make people scared of the unvaccinated to push these vaccine passports. I think that's the whole game. Is that why big tech has an interest in kind of gatekeeping for big pharma, suppressing people, talking about, uh, you know, symptoms and things like that, uh, negative side effects? Why does big tech care what we say that may or may not make big pharma look bad? Yeah, I think big tech cares a lot because they're going to be part of this digital economy. And I think you're absolutely right. That's a super insightful point. 
And that that's why they're on board because they know they're going to be part of this. And so that gravy train is going to move even more to big tech as this thing takes off. Now, your work is centered in the Bay Area. I mean, literally like the belly of the beast. So for so many Americans, you know, we hear California, we think things like California, uh, California, they think, you know, um, about tech, high taxes, insane government overreach. But as of the end of April, masks masks were still required in certain parts of L.A. Um, Californians really seem to have embraced a lack of freedom. So when people say to you, well, California is a lost cause, do you agree with them? Why or why not? I don't think California is a lost cause. If I did, I would have moved out of California. And you're right. L.A. County is still completely insane. They brought back the mask mandate for travel. But I just was in the LAX airport and that mandate had come back officially. But I'd say less than half of people were wearing masks. And as soon as you got on the plane, which was federal land, um, technically, there were no masks required on the planes. And I don't think California is lost. There are so many fighters all throughout California, their pockets in every single liberal county, their pockets of people fighting these vaccine mandates. And there's a couple counties in California, actually more than a couple, that are very conservative leaning, and they've been fighting these mandates very successfully, namely um, Orange County, San Diego County, and a lot of counties in Northern California have been fighting successfully. What do you think is the biggest threat facing medical freedom today? Is it big pharma? Is it the products? Is it the mandates? Another great question. The biggest threat to medical freedom, I would say, is probably our own government. I'm sorry to say, because it's their laws and their policies that are creating this medical police state. And if we don't do something about the coming medical police state right now, life as we know it is never going to be the same. If they get what they want in California with you know at least half a dozen bills still pending that altogether are going to create a medical police state, more and more states are going to go down and we're going to be completely controlled by the government in terms of medical treatments we have to take and other things we have to do just to function in society. It starts here. It starts now. We have to squash what's happening in California. And secondarily, we also have to squash what's happening in New York. In New York, Governor Hochul just passed a regulation. It's, it's a really weird thing called a regulation. It didn't go through the legislature in New York. She literally appointed a committee of her own people who voted whether or not they wanted this regulation. And it is about public health risks. Anyone in New York state right now can be deemed a public health risk and put into a hospital against their will what? or even taken away to a quarantine camp. And there's no exit strategy. There's no way to know if somebody is no longer a public health risk. There's no get out of jail free card. What are we there's supposed no to do about something like this? How long you can be in custody. But what can we do? Well, in New York, I'm not sure what can be done. I think a, a bill needs to be um, put to the legislature to undo that regulation because there is nothing else that can be done in New York about that right now. Um, if, if, and then if, in California, I think we need to introduce some some good bills and we have to go to the ballot measure method. Also, there's a bunch of tricks they use in the California legislative process to get these bills pushed through. One of them is called gut and amend where they take a bill. Let's say it's a bill about transportation. And at the last minute, they pull all the transportation language out of it and they make it into a, a vaccine bill to take away more of our rights around vaccination. Right. And then they have a second trick when these bills have to go through committees, like there's a health committee, let's say, or a fiscal committee or an education committee. Um, the committee head can stop a vote 
if the committee head doesn't think the vote is going to go in their direction. And so they'll stop a vote. They disband the committee. They replace the members who are going to vote against them. And then they get back together in two weeks and take a fresh vote with people that the committee head knows are going to vote the way they want. And both of those things have got to be changed. Those are such corrupt practices. It's ridiculous. But that's how they're pushing all this stuff through. And the population becomes um, a lot less powerful. And it's just bizarre because you and I know, you know, our, our public servants are called public servants because they serve us. They're supposed to serve the population. Right. They work for us. We don't work for them. And they act like we don't matter anymore in California. Where can viewers find you, Alex, um, and your amazing work and the resources that you were talking about? Viewers can find Children's Health Defense at childrenshealthdefense.org. And if you go to that site, you can go to The Defender, which is our publication that's all fact-checked and uh, linked to official sources. And if you're in California, you can go to ca.childrenshealthdefense.org and find a ton of California-specific information on that site. And I am on the board of Children's Health Defense, and I just have to say that the opinions I express here are my own and not necessarily those of Children's Health Defense. But um, yeah, you can get a lot of great information at Children's Health Defense. Alex Meyer, thank you so much for coming on The Spillover. Thank you so much, Alex. You've run a fantastic show. Really great questions. Thank you. Man, I spent weeks speaking behind the scenes to my team trying to decide, look, should we really go through with releasing this interview. I mean, ultimately, obviously, I decided to do it. And even if we get penalized and it's only up for 30 minutes and a thousand people hear it, maybe those people can tell others who can tell even more people. I also fell in love with the organization that Alex works for, Children's Health Defense. They tackle other issues besides Big Pharma. By the way, they expose big food, big energy, big tech, big climate, and more. I'm obsessed with learning about big food, by the way. That's something in a future episode I would love to cover. Maybe we'll have Alex back. Maybe we'll get somebody somebody else. But I hope that doing this interview was ultimately worth it. Support The Spillover by making sure you're subscribed to the podcast and leave a five-star review every single week. And of course, share with your friends and on your social media. The Spillover is back next Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Apple Podcasts and Spotify with season three. We are launching the new season with a highly requested celebrity guest. Watch every episode, except maybe this one, not sure yet, to be determined on the Politics YouTube. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye.